Hello, friends. This is Derek Kistner, founder and executive director of the Greater Peoria House of Prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Whether you're hearing from me, my wife Mandy, or a trusted leader, it's my hope that it would serve you well in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're listening at home here in central Illinois, maybe in your vehicle, or even somewhere on the other side of the world. However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this time together. Thank you for my friends here in this room. Uh, Thank you for those who have tuned in or will tune in on Facebook. Uh, We just... We want to encounter You tonight, Lord. Uh, We want a fresh encounter with the risen Christ. Lord, we don't want to just do religion. We don't want to just go through the motions. We want a real relationship with Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, move our hearts tonight closer to You. Move our hearts tonight, Lord. Open our ears to hear what You would say to us. Help us to comprehend what You're saying. Uh, Open your word to us tonight and encourage our hearts. Father, we do, even as we go into the message, Lord, we just think of our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine tonight, and we just ask that you would protect them. Uh, We ask that you would be with them. Many of them are in places of shelter. Many of them are defending their country. Lord, we just ask for your divine intervention and for many miracles to be done. In the name of your holy servant, Jesus, Lord, protect the saints, protect the nation, Lord, and let there be a swift conclusion to this conflict. Lord, let it come to an end very quickly. Lord, minimize the uh, casualties as much as possible, God. Lord, we ask for your mercy tonight in the Ukraine and all around the world, uh, even in this room tonight, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, top of the notes there, we're going to talk about uh, a unique subject that uh, I think is a worthy study. And it's uh, part of a little mini-series I've begun on Jesus. But we're looking at specific aspects of who He is. Um, I've given this analogy a number of times. Maybe you remember when you were younger and you had like a biology class and you, you looked in the microscope at a little drop of water for the first time, or like a little drop of lake water. I don't know if anybody did that. But you, you look in there and you turn up the microscope about a hundred times and you're like, oh my goodness, there's like all kinds of little animals and things swimming around. There's, it's amazing that what can be in one little drop of water. I think, Noah, did you just say you've done that? Oh, you haven't done that? Oh, that, that's a, it's a fun day. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, okay, that, that was like an eye-opening day. Like, oh my goodness, the world is a lot bigger than I thought. But when you put Jesus under the microscope, He only gets better is what I'm trying to say. The more we look at specific aspects of Him, we're, we're not let down. He just becomes more and more magnified to us. Uh, he becomes more and more amazing. And so we we don't want to just know Jesus in a general sense, like, okay, He lived and He died and He resurrected, and I believe that. Cool. I mean, those are important subjects. Those are important doctrines. But when we look at very specific aspects of His personality or what He's done or the things He said, 
We can camp out for long periods of time just to look at the love of Christ or the patience that He has in His heart for people or, I mean, a hundred different subjects, a thousand. So we're not going to go through all those tonight, but we're going to look at one specific aspect of Him, and that's His interior life. The inside of Christ is the title you can see there. And so we're going to look at, you know, a little bit of that in, in Christ, but then how it applies to our life as well. And so just wanted to give the gist there. Uh, look down just a little bit uh, further there under number two. Number two, uh, John 14. Love John 14, 15, 16, 17. Those are incredible chapters. Study those as much as you can. Those are incredible chapters. But in chapter 14, verse 30, Jesus makes a very interesting statement. He's talking with his disciples and he's saying, I'm not going to be talking with you guys much longer. The disciples didn't know what he was talking about. But he's basically saying, hey, there's not a lot of time left. I'm going to go away. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. Again, the disciples didn't fully connect everything that was going to happen. But that's what he's saying here in verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you. And then it says this, for the ruler of this world is coming. This is an interesting statement. The ruler of this world, he's talking about Satan. And Satan is involved in the crucifixion event. So God sovereignly set it up. It was part of God's overarching plan. But Satan is certainly involved in it. But, but what Satan doesn't know is that he's actually involved in a way that he's going to be defeated by the very person he's trying to tempt and destroy. So, so this, the enemy's involved in Christ's life trying to destroy him, not knowing this is the nail in the coffin for the enemy, not for Jesus. So that's a little bit of the overarching story. It says, he says, the ruler of this world is coming... And he has nothing in me. What a statement. The ruler of this world is coming to take me out, but there's nothing he has inside of me. And this statement alone proves that there wasn't like some kind of sin in Jesus' life where the enemy could take him out. Jesus was perfectly holy and the cross was an expression of love. It wasn't like he sinned and so the enemy had some kind of right to take him out. No, the, the cross of Christ was his devotion. It was his obedience to the Father that that actually uh, played out. It was his love for the world, his love for people like us, that he journeyed to the cross to take our sins in his place. So he was the substitution for me and for you and for all followers of Christ, past, present, future. Some people think that bad things happen uh, or suffering happens or war happens or, or you fill in the blank only because of sin. That's not exactly true. Uh, a seemingly bad thing happened to Jesus, but it was all part of God's plan to save people and give them eternal life. I could talk about redemption and salvation and all that, but tonight I want to zero in a little more. I want to kind of turn the microscope a little clear 
and focus specifically on this idea of the inside of Christ. What his life was like inside of him. Because he, he makes this statement, he says, the enemy has nothing in me. There is no entry point that Satan has. And so if you look at that bullet right underneath there, and you can go through the notes or, or not, it's totally... I give these out just for further study. If you'd like to study them later, you can. Um, but Jesus makes this remarkable statement basically uh, saying that there was, there was nothing the enemy had on Jesus because of Jesus' disobedience. There was, there was no agreement with Satan in Jesus' life at all. I mean, just think about a person living their whole life and never once get into unbelief or pride or have an angry thought uh, one time. I mean, we're talking about someone so holy, they never were impatient a single time. They never entertained anything in their thoughts, emotions, motives, anything that was sinful. I mean, that's just incredible. And so... Because Jesus lived completely perfect, the devil had no foothold in his life. There, there was nothing the enemy could do to take him out. The way the enemy gets us tripped up is he kind of gets us into a little bit of sin and then our emotions get kind of jacked up. And so because we're kind of a little bit compromised, a little bit of sin, then we're feeling bad about it. And so we make a few bad choices and that goes on for a few. So we're, we're, we're like... It's hard for us, you know, because that's, I mean, even the most mature people out there who love Jesus and they're really good at obeying, uh, every one of us stumbles and falls into various things. And, and so there's areas where the enemy can kind of try to disrupt us. But imagine a man who never had any of that. So Jesus never had a bad day because he sinned or he never had a bad season because, you know, he was in pride or he, he just never, nothing, no consequences of sin at all. And so just think about that for a moment. Imagine meeting someone that healthy. Imagine talking to a man that spiritually healthy where there's literally no pride, no arrogance, no sin, no anger issues, no like mother or father issues, uh, no abandonment issues, like literally zero sin. And so if you and I were to talk to him like the disciples did for three years, I mean, people actually interacted with the healthiest man ever to live. There was no one more spiritually healthy than Jesus ever in life. And so they got to see like what perfection looks like and what it sounds like and what it makes you feel like. And, and the good news is that's who we get to be with forever, is someone who's spiritually healthy and who's only loving perpetually for the rest of eternity. But imagine like Peter and John and the disciples and the, and the, the lady with the issue of blood and all the people that in Scripture that encounter this man who had no issues on the inside. What an amazing person. There was never a time where Jesus was like saying something to this guy and then behind his back he's like, yeah, can you believe that guy? Oh my goodness. <laughs> like We do that sometimes. But Jesus was always completely consistent, 
completely loving. Whatever he said over here, he said over here, and he said back there, and he said to that guy. He's just always truthful, always honest. It's worth just thinking about that sometimes. Because Jesus wasn't just a little better than people. He was blazing holiness from the inside out. And he was so holy that it made him the most loving person anybody has ever met. And so there, there was never like, uh, you know, someone came up to Jesus and he like snapped on him. The only thing that came out of Jesus was goodness because that's who he was. There was nothing evil in him. There was never... So, you know, people sometimes came to Jesus and it was just like healing just came out of him and touched people and love just came out of him and touched people. And, and even when he did correct people or even when he did demonstrate the zeal of the Father, like at the house of prayer 2,000 years ago when he tipped things over and he was very restrained in doing so, it was all in love. Here's the thing. Even... When the Bible says Jesus was angry, it was a loving and a redemptive anger. It wasn't like our anger. Our anger is like vengeful and uncalculated and just bursts out. His was, no, I'm very purposefully going to demonstrate the restrained and loving anger of God in this moment. Boom! This is a house of prayer. You're turning it into a house of merchandise. And so even, even when he was quote-unquote angry, it was righteous anger something we don't really know about. You know, we like to defend ourselves and say, well, I'm righteously angry. No, 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 we're just sinfully angry a lot. Only Jesus could claim I was righteously angry. We, we Christians, we know how to kind of use the lingo. Well, I'm angry, but I'm righteously angry. No, it's just call it sin, repent. You know what I mean, right? Okay. So Jesus, his mind, his will, his emotions, his body, his soul, his spirit, truly free of darkness. I mean, I just want to live one day like this. One day where there's no entry point. I mean, it's never going to be. We're going to get to heaven one day and we'll have a renewed body or a glorified body. And so we'll experience this in heaven, but never in this age to the degree Jesus did. Whoa, what would it be like to live your teens and your 20s and part of your 30s with only like the fullness of obedience? I just, I love thinking about this. This is the inside of him. This is the inside of his life. And why this is important, because it's the inside of us that determines the things we do externally. Many of the decisions we make the things we think about, the way we see people, the way we view God, it starts in here. It, it, it starts in a place of obedience on the inside. Sometimes people wonder, like, why am I always this? Or why is it? Uh, it, it we, we, we do need to, you know, I don't want to make it sound like we need to be totally self-absorbed and constantly look to the inside of us. That's not the answer. We look to Christ and the inside is transformed. But we have to understand... If we have, like, let's make up an area, if we're completely angry on the inside a lot, it will play out in real life. Uh, if, we're, uh, all, if we're really working on loving people instead of being angry, it will work its way out in, in, in many other ways as well. Hebrews 4.15, I love this verse. 
It's a beautiful verse. It says, we do not have a high priest, referring to Jesus, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So what the author of Hebrews is saying is because Jesus was tempted like we are, but never once sinned, he's able to sympathize with you and me. He goes, I've been there. I know what it's like to feel angry, and yet I chose not to act out on it. I know what it's like to experience lust, but not act on it. I know what it's like to want to just absolutely lay into that jerk over there, but I remain patient. So he experienced the emotions we experience. He thought the things we think, but never took it to the point of sin. That's, that's remarkable. And what's interesting, what the author of Hebrews says, it doesn't produce condescension in him. Like, I know what it's like, and I never sin, so I can't believe you can't do that. No, he goes, actually, it causes me to sympathize because I see the pull of sin. I see how powerful it is and how it really gets people wrapped up. And once you take one step, then sin will take you three more steps, and then you're far gone. Jesus, I felt that, but by the grace of God, I chose obedience 100% of the time my whole life. The only way Jesus could have been a sacrifice for us is if he was a spotless sacrifice. And so he could not have sinned even once. Even one sin, and he can't go to the cross as a sinless sacrifice. And so he, I mean, imagine the pressure. I don't know what kind of pressure he felt, but if I had to live my life without sinning, I would feel some pressure. And by the way, I would fail in 10 minutes. Glad that wasn't my calling or your calling. Somehow, a real human being named Jesus did not sin once. Wow. I tell you, that's a man worth worshiping. That is a man worth praying to and giving our all to. If he would live perfect and die in our place so that we could be in a relationship, I want to be in that relationship. I mean, there's a lot of people that I think are cool. There's a lot of people that I think say neat things. But there's no one like Jesus. Nobody even close. I mean, I love Abraham Lincoln. Study him. Amazing. Martin Luther King Jr. Love him. Study him. Love his quotes. Both these gentlemen did amazing things in, in American history. And there's dozens, hundreds of people that I love studying But man, you compare that to Jesus. Whoa. Man, I want to know him as a friend. And I'm getting, you know, looking forward to seeing everybody else on the list too. I want to hang out with Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., all the others in heaven, Paul, John, Peter. I want to hang out with these men and these women that, you know, we we read about in Scripture or throughout history. But Jesus is another order. Nobody else lived like this. You know, last week or a couple weeks ago before Cody shared, I would encourage you to listen to Cody's message, but a couple weeks ago I talked about uh, uh, the first two parts of this message. Imagine yourself at a campfire with Jesus, just you and him sitting around that fire and just think about what does that feel like? Just you and Jesus sitting there eye to eye, you having a conversation 
the healthiest man that's ever lived. What do you think that feels like? What do you think that he says to you? Uh, what does he do for you? He's a servant always. But would he do something for you? Begin to work on that exercise and put biblical answers into that. Because the things he would say to you, are, I love you. How can I help you? Like, I'm God. I'm really powerful. Can I help you? <laughs> I'll help you grow. Uh, and, and you don't have to fear him. I mean, in the, in the sense of the fear of the Lord means to respect him. But you don't have to be afraid of him. He's very powerful and he's on your side. And he wants you to grow spiritually. And he's not like angry that you're behind or something like that. He's, just con- he's concerned with helping you where you're at to keep growing. And so sometimes I think, how do we connect with who he is really? Just imagine yourself, the campfire, you and Jesus What's he saying? What are you saying? It's a cool thing to think about. Now, just real quick, we know the cross was not the result of his disobedience. Okay, this is just obvious. But some people believe and teach that we should never experience adversity or suffering, ever. But if that was true, then why did Jesus experience adversity and suffering? And so we, it's important there, there's, it's the second bullet, I've got a few verses there, it's important to get a biblical view of suffering and adversity, okay? Sometimes we suffer and face adversity because we're obedient. Uh, you look at the life of Job. Job was taken through a long season of suffering because he was already obedient. He, was, he suffered because he had made a stand to live righteous before God, and God was proving something to the enemy with his life. And so just don't buy into this concept of, like, if you're suffering, it's because of sin. That's not exactly how it works. Sometimes people suffer because they have chosen to obey, and the Lord is deepening that obedience through suffering. I mean, this is just... Theology 101, but, but there's more and more teaching today that is kind of an Americanized gospel that if you're really righteous, you'll be rich and famous and never, you know, suffer. That's not the biblical gospel. The biblical gospel is we go through seasons of adversity, and as we respond to the Lord in those seasons, our character matures even more. We become even more like Jesus, and then that season lifts. And we have a deeper strength and a, and a more refined character. And people see Jesus in us even more. Let's go down to number three, personal application. So I just touched on briefly, excuse me. I just touched briefly on the inside of Christ. Now, as a personal application, when we want to grow in our own obedience Our example is Jesus, okay? Our example, our premier example is we look to Him and how He obeyed to get informed on how we obey. So seeing that He was tempted and yet obeyed, that gives us an example. We want to be able to look at, you know, friends and other leaders and even other men and women in the Bible to be inspired, but Jesus really is our ultimate example Set your focus on Him. Reach like He reached for obedience and you'll be so much further. 
sometimes what happens is we we kind of focus on this leader over here and go, well, if he if he's obeying, I'll obey. But if he falls, then I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, we love that leader over there. We want to be inspired by him. But if he gets off course, no, our our focus is Christ. And he never kind of like went hard for a season and then gave up. No, Jesus was faithful his whole life. Holy on the outside, holy on the inside. So make him your your obsessive focus on how you want to grow. Because in our own journey, we have all kinds of things we're going to be working on in our emotions and our thoughts and our motives and our actions. And so just always look to Christ. We must uh, remember that obedience is not just outward behavior modification. When we want to grow in Christ-likeness, it's not like, okay, how can I act a little different? It's not ultimately about that. It's actually letting God, as we focus on Christ, see who He is in the Gospels, learn more about Him, we begin to change on the inside. Inward transformation really is the goal because if the inside changes, then the outside, we don't even, we're not even trying anymore. It's just the natural outflow of who we are. And so sometimes, you know, uh, let me say this a little differently. It's, it's okay to like try to obey. We need to do that because it works both ways. Sometimes we just choose to love someone over and over and over and that changes us. But if we don't let the inside change, it's hard to do the outside things over and over again for a long period of time. I want to encourage you wherever you're at in your journey, okay, wherever you're at in your journey of maturing, becoming more like Jesus, you might be one year in, you might be 10 years in, 20, 30 years in, wherever we're at tonight, just keep going. Sometimes people think, well, I've failed so many times. I don't know if I should just give up. And, and the Father says, don't give up. Don't give up. Just keep, keep asking me for grace because you never know if you keep going, okay, I sinned there and I repent. And I, Lord, I just want to love you again. Help me. You'll overcome in those areas in time. Just don't give up. Not giving up often is just going, okay, I sinned again, Lord, I really, I mean it, I do want to be obedient in that area. Help me. Help me to make that just permanently. And over time, those desires shift, just keep signing up again and again. God's not like up in heaven ready to throw lightning bolts every time you sin. He understands that we all go through a process of growth. I don't know where I have it on under number three here, but just like when someone is born, you know, they're a little baby. We've had five of these, five of these little babies. They're born, you know, they're about eight pounds, nine, ten pounds, or, you know, six to ten pounds there. They're fully human. Even before they're born, they're fully human. But they go through a process of growth for many years. They don't, they don't become human when they're 30. They're human I mean, I believe at conception, they're a human being and they're deserving, deserving of rights, but they're human as they grow in the womb and they're human when they're born. But we understand, my point is, we understand there's a process of growth that's very natural. We wouldn't expect an infant to be six feet tall. That'd be absurd. We wouldn't expect a two-year-old to dunk a basketball. That'd be absurd. 
And so just like we understand growth, God the Father understands growth. And so he knows we're going to go through a process of spiritual growth and kind of learn how to obey. And so he knows when we're, you know, at the maturity level we're at, he knows our struggles and he's not expecting us to have everything in order right away. And so just understand that the father views you as we would view our own children. We, we are so in love with them, even when they're first born and can't do anything for us and wake us up in the middle of the night constantly. We, we love them when they can do nothing. And the Father loves us in a very similar way, even when we're spiritually immature and we're stumbling and fumbling a lot, even for many years, He goes, I'm going to give them grace. I'm going to help them grow and become mature and useful in my purposes. And so you might feel like, well, all I do is struggle. Hang in there. He'll grow you. It's It's a participation. You're going to work on some areas, but you'll eventually get it. You know, I think it's interesting when there's a number of scriptures that, that uh, reflect this idea of at the final meeting with God at the end of our life, there's that well done, good, faithful servant that we all want to hear, right? But he doesn't say perfectly done, good and perfect servant who never sinned. I mean, he, he never makes that statement in Scripture. The idea, he's not expecting us to get 100% perfection like Jesus. His expectation is that we would earnestly desire to grow and throughout our life, we're going to kind of trend upward. Uh, and, and so at the end of our life, he can really say, you did great. Well done. No one does it perfect like my son, but you did. You were faithful. You You hung in there. The idea of faithfulness is you just hang in there. Hard times, uh, easy times, hard times, easy times. Oop, I sinned, I repent, I get back on track. That's faithfulness. Don't believe the lie of the enemy that there's someone out there doing it perfect and you're just totally not doing it and so you should be condemned. That, that's not even real. The enemy makes us think that like I'm the worst person and there's all these other people who perfectly obey. Nobody perfectly obeys. Only Jesus perfectly obeyed. Even Paul the Apostle made statements like, Oh, wretched sinner that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin? He said things to the, to the effect that he wrestled with sin, even though it's like, Paul the Apostle, did you seriously do that? He said, Yeah, I wrestled with things. So just understand that there is this process of growth involved in our sanctification. We, we look to Jesus. Jesus is this amazing example, never sinned once. We kind of point the direction of our life at it. And then we just trust God to grow us over time. I'm a little bit all over the notes, so if you're trying to follow, God bless you. When we first begin to grow... You know, the focus when we're, when we're a young believer is kind of on the big, quote-unquote, big outward sins. And then as we grow and mature, that never changes. The Lord never says to us, like, okay, don't focus on that. No, we, we kind of overcome some big hurdles. And then He begins to refine us in smaller ways that we were completely, didn't even know about, didn't even know they were in the Bible. He begins to refine us in, in finer details. 
And so, you know, let's use Paul the Apostle as an example. I mean, here's a man that was literally killing people. And so a big hurdle he had to overcome. Okay, don't do that anymore, Paul. Okay, but as he grew and matured, I mean, he was concerned about the, the littlest part of his conscience he was concerned about. The, the, the smallest response to a person, he was like, I, I want to work on these things. I want to work on my mind being renewed and my conscience being clear. And he would apologize if he said something. There's a couple of times where Paul kind of uh, rebuked someone and they're like, Paul, that's the high priest. Oh, sorry. You know, so he had a very sensitive conscience. And so murderous Paul would never even have cared about that. But fast forward many years, he cares about the little details. And that's what the picture of maturity is, is we, it's not that we get everything perfect, it's that we at least care. We at least go, oh yeah, that area I'm not good at, and I, I feel bad, and I apologize, and I repent, but Lord, I want to be faithful and just help me. And he does iron us out a little bit more through the seasons. You get what I'm saying? Now one thing I want us to, this is, I'm going to close here in just a quick minute. Some, I'm going to, sorry, i got to lose this jacket. I'm burning up out here. <laughs> I think it means uh, either the Holy Spirit's moving or the heat's on or something. Maybe both. We'll see. Some people get this idea that they have to be perfect. And I, I just want to lift this burden off of us tonight. I've actually had a number of people say this to me. And I've had meetings God's expectation is not for you to be perfect and sinless, okay? And I don't know what you believe on this tonight. There's a number of scriptures, be perfect as I am perfect, be holy as I am holy. Uh, John said a few things in the letters that if you, if you take the wrong way, it can, they sound like, oh my goodness, I got to be perfect and sinless. That's... That's not the holistic understanding of sanctification. What, what do I mean by that? If, if we understand what the whole Bible says about maturity or Christ-likeness or sanctification, our responsibility is to be committed to maturity or committed to changing over time. We will never in this life get to a point where we're sinless. It will not happen it's impossible. No one can be sinless apart from... Only Jesus can do that. The idea that the Apostle Paul and those statements are saying is if we are truly saved, we will make a clean break from our past life of sin. We will, we will now start aiming our life at a perfect God who is holy. And we will begin the journey of changing slowly over time. We'll never fully get there in this life. But some trip up over these words and they don't, they don't read all the Scripture on the subject. Even Paul the Apostle in the very common Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 is used often by people to say, we're, we're done sinning, literally. Actually, Paul doesn't say that in Romans 6. He even makes many provisions throughout Romans 6 saying, I'm calling you not to sin anymore, but I know that you will. And so when you do, I want you to do this and this and this. And so we're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer obeying our sinful urges. Now, because we're saved, we can challenge that and begin moving a different direction. 
And so the point isn't, okay, I have to be perfect. Oh my gosh, I can't do that. I'm going to live condemned. This actually ends up being very important. It plays out in almost all theological spaces in our life. I just want to assure you the testimony of Scripture is point your life toward Christ and just let Him over time change you into His image. Okay? And the more interested we are in that, the quicker it happens and the more benefits we see of it. Um, I've been doing some studying recently on some past revivals. And um, you know, when you study church history, there's different pockets that the doctrine was just very, very poor. But God still moved, praise God, but the doctrine was just unreal. And one of the teachings that was prominent in the Azusa revival in the early 1900s was that you could kind of lose your salvation and get it back and lose your salvation and get it back depending on how you acted one day. And that, that's just such, it's such a difficult way to live. And so people would literally say like, hey, I don't want to get in an argument right now because I might lose my salvation. And I don't want to lose my salvation, so I'm just not going to argue. So it was like, it had good fruit a little bit, but it was just, it was a very fearful thing. And so um, we don't lose our salvation because we sin. Our salvation is secure. Uh, We're saved by grace through faith. There's no work we can do to earn it, and there's no work you can do to unearn it. Now, there's a a very... um, I I think Scripture is very clear that over the passage of time, we can demonstrate ourselves to be an unbeliever who thought we were saved. That's a whole other discussion. I don't want to open up that can of worms tonight. But a genuine believer is someone that is going to struggle with many things throughout their life, and they're saved the entire time. They don't go in and out of it like, Okay, I lost my temper again. I'm not saved. What do I got to do to get back into salvation? I'll be nice over here. Okay, I'm back in salvation. It, it just completely doesn't work like that. Once you're saved, you're saved. You're good. And it will prove itself throughout your life. And, and again, there's debate on, okay, so what if in 30 years the person's no longer following the Lord? Yeah, there's, that's valid. I, I, I would talk about that. But tonight, I just, for the sake of this discussion, I just want us to know that in the process of a true believer who is just on their way to becoming more like Jesus, we're saved the moment we believe. No, there was no work involved. We said, Jesus, I love you. I want in. Okay, you're in. You're saved fully. And, and you're not working for salvation all the way up to Christ's likeness. You're working from salvation. You and I. And so we're fully saved, and yet we're being refined. It's, it's called sanctification. I've gone way too long. Mandy, are we good? Okay. I think we should take a moment to pray together. Let me just land this plane real quick here. So we've talked a little bit about Jesus there's no one like him. There was no evil inside of him. There, there was just so much goodness that came from him because there was no sin. This man, he is our example. We're never going to be fully like him. But I want to get as close as I can. I want to reach. I, I want to, uh, you know, I want to. That's the bullseye. Yes, amen there in the back. 
<laughs> Love that five-year-old. And, and so looking to Christ, he was such an incredible man. I want to be like him. I, I want to go through, you know, the, the, I, want, I want to set my heart to obey. And so there's this journey, there's this process, but it's worth it. And the Father is for me and he's for you the entire way. Just like I love my kids when they're born and when they're two and when they're five and they're 10 and they're 12, whether they can do anything for me or not, I love them. And the Father loves you. Jesus loves you. The Spirit loves you no matter where you're at in your journey. But I eventually want to get to a point where I'm useful for His kingdom. And we should all want to be like, we want to, you know, like when we're 16 years old or 18 years old in the Spirit, we want to start doing some of the heavy lifting so that we can be faithful to further what God is doing in the earth. Amen? Amen, amen. I'll end there. So Heavenly Father, we thank You for this uh, time in the Word. We thank You that You are so good and that there is no evil in You. We thank You for how You live, Lord Jesus, and that it's our example on how we should live. And so I just pray tonight for much grace over my brothers and sisters here in the room and those uh, perhaps tuned in on Facebook or, or going through the recordings. Lord, I ask for encouragement to just stay steady in that process of being matured and grown and sanctified more into Your likeness, God. And I just pray for grace over Your church here locally, nationally, worldwide. Grace just to continue to let you work on us and bring us forth as gold so that we can shine the light of Christ uh, in our spheres of influence in life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org slash donate. That's gphop.org slash donate. Thank you, and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.